you got to be responsible. One of the number one roles of a visionary leader when you're starting a business outside of leadership, you got to set the culture. Yeah, for sure. You got to set the culture. And I didn't set the culture. Everything changed for me when I had, I started to rebuild again and started to have similar problems. I was like, something ain't right. Yeah. It's me. Mm -hmm. I finally realized it ain't them. It's me. Are you ready? We're going to run the yeah. play. Let's Do you go. know what it's like? To come for nothing at all But every day you just wanting it all Do you know what it's like? Every day facing your fear But believing that your blessing is near Do you know what it's like? Growing up broken than most But still being devoted the most Do you know what it's like? Yeah, that's what the journey's about Yeah, Let me show you What's going on, everybody? This is Justin Owens, back at the Run the Play Show, where I help break down the top plays of success from top leaders, entrepreneurs, and personalities by sharing gems from their personal playbook. And today, I got a Hall of Felt. <laughs> Dang, I start over, right? Yeah, let me just, I just run all together, yeah. Are you ready? What's going on, y'all? This is Justin Owens, back at the Run the Play Show, where I help break down the top plays of success from when it comes to top leaders, entrepreneurs, and personalities by sharing gems from their personal playbook. And today, I'm excited. I got one of my brothers in the room. He is a Hall of Fame wealth strategist, Mr. Marvin Mitchell. Yes, sir. How you doing, man? Good to see you, bro. Hey, I'm glad to be here, man. Glad to be seen. Glad to have hey. you here. Because we're going to talk money. Oh, we're yeah. going to talk about your journey. We're going to talk about, you know, how it is to be a high-value man out here in the world. Absolutely. Well, first off, man, I want to say... Man, I appreciate the honor of being on your show, bro. You man, somebody I respect here. in the community. Thank you, bro. Um, just your leadership, man. Your poise, man. I've been watching what you've been what you've been doing, and you definitely inspirational, man. Thank you, bro. Motivating a lot of people. Thank you, bro. and also showing people that leadership is something that's important. That you should not just worry about selling and marketing, but yeah. you need to lead. Yeah, so, now for sure, bro. I appreciate yeah. that, man. Absolutely, man. Let's get brother here, man. I'm <laughs> um, so let. Let's jump into it. Let, let me just ask you this, because we're going to always like to start off with something a little fun. Yes, sir. Obviously, now you've built an incredible company yeah. across multiple states, uh, doing an incredible amount of revenue, helping a lot of customers, Yeah, which has afforded you great financial success. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I know we've had some <laughs> conversations about, you know, the dating space, you know. Right, and right. so I, I'm not saying that just making money makes a person a high value man, but right. by today's standard, they would say, hey, that's a high value man. How is the dating world today as a high-value man? Well, let me tell you, I'm, I was sheltered, right? Okay, yeah. So I'm from St. Louis, yep. Missouri, bro. So, And and I was I was always quiet mm -hmm. about having any money. So yeah. you got to keep in mind, as a financial advisor, it was looked down upon to drive a nice car. I was looked mm -hmm. down upon to even show your house or any of that was looked down on. Wow. So. Uh, I was driving like an old Ford. I had money. But yeah. I was driving like an old Ford Taurus, living in a thousand square foot um, house, living like I was a scarcity mindset. Mm -hmm. So I never really attracted, and I was in a relationship, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh -huh. So, um, so with that being said, I really, I was overlooked. Yeah. You know, so the people who I was with, they were with me for me. Yeah. Well, I got into this online digital space. Yeah. You know, I built my company, <laughs> came down to Atlanta. Mm -hmm. I probably had been to Atlanta two or three times to visit. Yeah. I didn't know about the women <laughs> out here in Atlanta, bro. Yeah. So when I came down here, all of a sudden, you know, online, I'm showing a little more. By this time, I had got a nice car. I got yeah. a Lamborghini, yeah. got a Rolls Royce. I'm trying to hide it. But you got to talk about it sometimes yeah. because mm -hmm. it's like it, it attracts people. So I wasn't even ready for what it attracted, man. Yeah. So the dating scene... Um, 
I'm a little scarred. You know okay. what I'm saying? Yeah. Right, so yeah. it came from me thinking everybody was just in it for you. Yeah. To realizing that people could be real um, creative hmm. uh, in a way that they approach it when maybe they're really out here looking for a come up or they're looking for something else. Mm. But, um, <laughs> but uh, you know what I'm saying? I, I, I didn't know. Mm -hmm. So it, I, And I pride myself on being very intuitive. Like I typically know, you know what I'm saying, what's, um, what's going on, but I wasn't ready for it, man. This girl's out here now who literally would be, you go out to one dinner for you, they'll be saying, hey, uh, we should go to the mall. Like, I was looking at this Chanel bag. It's like, we, we just met. You know what I'm saying? Anybody you know Chanel wow. bag? Like, at dinner? Bro, yeah. It, I, I went to dinner with this one girl, bro. We just, we just vibing. Mm -hmm. We chilling. And she was just like, um, so, because I hid, I sheltered myself. I drove, I ain't even drive, I, I Ubered. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I was like, let me try to have her find out. She didn't have my IG or nothing. Mm -hmm. So she was like, um, how many, um, so she was trying to hit. She was like, so tell me about, so you got a house out here? So um, how big is your house? Like, um, do you make over, um, she was like, I'm just, or do you make over six figures? And I was like, mm, close to that. You know what yeah. I'm saying? So I'm just real, just trying to be low key. Mm -hmm. So she kept asking probing questions. I was just playing it to the side. Mm -hmm. So then eventually I cut it short, right? She looked me up on IG. She saw I did a couple interviews, you know, Breakfast Club mm -hmm. and things like that. She hit me up. She was like, why didn't you tell me who you were? Like, what you doing tomorrow? Like, all of a sudden, she was like all on me. Wow. She was acting shit. So, yeah. so it was some of that stuff, man. Like, after getting, like, feeling like women were on that, sometimes yeah. I got to find a balance. Because sometimes it's okay to be a giver. Being yeah. a giver is in my nature. Yeah. But sometimes I kind of stay away mm -hmm. from, like, doing too much, which is against my character right. because I don't want people to get the wrong impression, the wrong idea. Yeah. But sometimes I can go too far. Yeah. I can be like, nah, I ain't doing it when I really should have because it wasn't a big deal. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's, yeah, so that's what I mean when it's scored because yeah. I'm trying to find that balance. Yeah. You, know? you know, what I've learned, man, is, like, you have to... You have to be yourself to everybody, but the levels that you open up yourself to people, they have to earn it. Mm. And I think what that's What you mean fair. by that, bro? It's like, like, because you, like, I'm a giving person naturally. Right. I can tell you're a giving person naturally. It's like, yo, I could be giving, so I would give yeah. time. You know, we could do a meal here or there. Yeah. But for some of these extra things, like, that's just, that comes with time. Mm. And it's on my discretion, because it's, it's my stuff. If, it, if yeah. I want to give it, it's like nobody can force me to give it. Um, but also, I feel like if I have the urge, I'm like, okay, I want to do something nice for this person. I'll do it. Yeah. I, and I try not to. On my own. With yeah, you. because I try not to. It's like business. You know what I'm saying? Like, you can't, you can come, you can take lessons from a previous business yeah. into a new business. Right. But I can't take that experience into this new business because I didn't like that experience. Yeah. Because obviously, I'm not there no more. So, like, and now if I take that experience to a new experience, well, odds are I'm going to duplicate it. Yeah. So, I'm saying, okay, what was the lesson from this? What was the lesson from that? All right, let me throw, it, yep. throw away the rest start something new and you're just learning but I, I stay myself but it's like you just those other levels got to be earned yeah and I just realized you know the person that you choose as your spouse mm -hmm. is probably the most important decision oh, for sure you can yeah. make in your life so mm -hmm. you know when you're coming up when people see you rising when people yeah. see you coming up you're naturally going to attract people because right. women they love to see a person coming up and yeah. ambition so you Using that discretion and just making sure that that person is in it for me yeah. is super, super important because, you know what I mean, if, if, if they show that over time, and sometimes yeah. it takes some time, 
then, um, man, that's the person that you want to be with. And I didn't make the right choices in the past. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. And I think that that's a part of growth, too, you know, because, like, you know, a lot of people y'all know I was married at one time. And actually, me and my uh, uh, daughter's mom have a great relationship now. Yeah. You know, and so, but jumping back out into the dating world, it was totally different. I was like, okay, this is. <laughs> right. some different rules out here you, you know because you was you know yeah. you was in a relationship yeah. you sheltered a so, bit. so you had yeah. to learn and, and I think that's a part of the process but then you, you find out really quick like what you want what you don't want and then you know you're a smart guy you like me like you, you figure out okay what's oh, yeah. out here and you so, figure it out yeah. and, and now it's like I know what to look for now yeah, yeah you know what sure. I mean so so it was fun man I, I learned I learned yeah. a lot bro I mean I don't regret any past relationship yeah, I was sure. in because yeah. I definitely learned a lot and it was fun while it lasted yeah. but but then when it's over, you realize that, why the hell did I put myself through that? You know what I'm saying? You realize, like, damn, the, the warning signs, the red flags, they were there. Yeah, like, the yeah. whole time, yeah, like, sure. yeah. people saw it. You know yeah, what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, yeah, I should have yeah. saw it. Yeah. But, you know, but but it is what it is. It is. You know, it is what it is. It was fun. It's what it fun. is. Yeah. Fun. So. All right. Let, let's jump into some money. I always like to start there. You know, anytime I have one of my brothers on, I got to ask So I always, hear, I always hear talking about people talking about, like, Become your own bank. Right, right, right. I don't know. Can you help us understand, like, right. what is becoming your own bank? How does a person do that? Okay. So when we say becoming your own bank, we we obviously not talking about, because some people would be like, oh, I ain't no bank yet. Like, yeah. obviously you're not transitioning into an actual bank. Yeah. You're operating like the banks. Okay. You know what I'm I saying? Can, so the way the banks operate, they take in your money. Okay. They pay you pennies on a the dollar. Mm -hmm. They use your money as leverage. They can multiply it and leverage it up to 10 times for every dollar that, that, that they get. Okay. Then they can go out and take your money and issue out loans. So they might pay you 3%, but then they're giving out a loan for like 8%. Okay. So many people think that your money is, when you put your money in a bank, yeah. you think that, oh, well, that's the bank's, that's an asset for the bank. Yeah. Actually, no. When you put your money in a bank, it's actually a liability for the bank because they have to pay you interest. It only turns mm -hmm. into an asset when they take that money and loan it out. Now it's an asset because they're making more money than they're paying you. That makes sense? It. Yeah, it does. So it's the same thing when we talk about becoming your own bank. So it's like, okay, if you are saving, and we're we'll we talking about life insurance, and I'll explain that. It's a special type of life insurance in a way that you fund it. Okay. But when you're making your own bank, you put your money into the account. Now, understand that when you put your money into the life insurance and you accumulate a cash value, that's not a necessarily an asset yet. Yeah. You have to borrow against it, and then you have to buy an asset, and you use your life insurance as a funnel. You see what I'm saying? Okay. So any dollar that I'm getting, I'm funneling it through my life insurance policy. The reason why is that once it hits that life insurance policy, it will continue to grow as if I never touched it tax-free. Okay. And then I can borrow from it, and it's making money. And then I can buy, let's say, a real estate property. Now, that real estate property is, is earning appreciation. It's paying me out an income stream for cash flow. And I'm making money off the life insurance at the same time. So you so, tell me, so if you make $50,000 this month, right? Just give an example. Yeah, yeah. You put $50,000 into the life insurance. Right. Policy. Okay, so 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 look at it like this. Okay. Let's just say I had $100,000 sitting in the cash flow, life insurance. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to put a little test to you. Yeah. So it's earning 5%. Let's, let's forget about the life insurance. You got $100,000, okay. no life insurance. Mm -hmm. You're earning 5%. Mm -hmm. One year later, how much money do you have total? 
Uh, if you're earning five percent, it's five thousand. So one hundred and five thousand. Yeah, right. One hundred and five thousand. Mm -hmm. Now, let's say you got a hundred thousand dollars. This time, let's say it's in the life insurance, mm -hmm. still earning you five percent. We starting over. We got a hundred thousand dollars earning you five percent, but this time you borrow thirty thousand mm -hmm. dollars against that policy. One year later, how much money do you have in the cash value? Basically the same thing, right? As long as you pay it back. No. Yes and no. So. Okay. It is the same thing. It's a hundred and five thousand. Okay. That part's right. Yeah. Why? Because it continues to grow as if you never touched it. Yes. Right. Okay. Because you didn't touch it. You just borrowed against it. You didn't take from it. It's like when you borrow uh, from a real estate property. You yeah. did a home equity line of credit. You didn't touch the property. Yeah. You just borrowed against the equity. Got it. Okay. Same thing. So you borrowed against it. So it's still growing as if you never touched it. So that part's right. Mm -hmm. The second part you said as long as you pay it back. Yeah. You don't have to pay it back. Okay. So that's one of the benefits of it because if I got a hundred thousand dollar cash value and I borrow thirty thousand dollars from it, if I do pay it back, that's great, and I recommend you pay it back because you'll be increasing your capacity to borrow more in the future. Got it. But if you don't pay it back, guess what? You don't have to. It's subtracted from the death benefit when you die. Got the it. death benefit is always more than the cash value. So if I got a hundred thousand dollar cash value, more than likely I probably got a three million dollar death benefit. So what they're going to do is they're going to subtract what you borrow plus interest from the death benefit when you die. So when you borrow from this fund or when you look to borrow from this fund, they don't check your credit score. They're not checking to see when, when you're going to pay it back. There's no structured payment. Yep. There's no taxes on it because it's growing tax deferred, tax free. Um, there's liquidity access and control, which means I can borrow from it at any time I want. I don't have to wait until I'm like 59 and a half, like, yep. like if it was a 401k. And I don't have to pay it back because nobody's chasing me down. It's not reported. Like they, they basically use your death benefit as the collateral. Got it. Now, but let me ask you this because that is, cause, and I'm asking because I don't really know this. Right, right, know, right. It's like you get whole whole life in term. Yep. So that also means I have to pay the that policy off, right? Like, yeah. So like what, if, what if I like five years, I say, hey, you know, I don't want this insurance policy no more. Do, do I now got to pay that back? Yeah. So good question. <laughs> so you can structure it in multiple different ways. You can set it up where you paying payments on it for life. Okay. You can set it up where you only paying payments on it until you're 65. Or you can even do like a five pay, which means I'm only paying it just five years. That don't mean I don't have the, the policy for my life. It just yeah. means I structure my premiums to stop at a certain time. Mm. And another thing that people don't know is that you don't have to, let's say I got a policy set up and I'm paying $50,000 a year into that policy, yep. but I set it up where I have what's called a, um, a, 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 a APR, like a, a rider that's going to allow it to go more into my cash value, right? Yep. I, the minimum, let's say the minimum is $100, mm -hmm. right? The minimum is $100, but I'm putting $50,000 in there. Okay. All I got to do is pay $100 into that policy to keep it active. I don't have to pay the rest of it in there. Mm -hmm. um, now, I want to because that's what's going to go straight to my cash value, but yep. you don't have to pay the whole amount to keep it active depending on how you structure the policy. Got it. Okay. So what's... Cause but but you're right. But if you just say, I'm not going to pay it all, yeah. I'm just done, and you don't, and you, let's say you two years later, you was like, I ain't paying it all, you can get what's le what you've accumulated so far in the cash value, but of course, it's going to cancel the policy because you're not funding it anymore. Got it. Okay. Yeah. I was always curious about that because, like, we were we was kind of talking before, but, like, right. my dad had did Primerica when I was younger. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, like, R. Williams was buy term and investment. That's the difference. I hate whole life. What's, I hate yeah, permanent so life. What's your philosophy on that? Because here's what yeah. I do know. Like, that was... 
that was a philosophy of insurance in the 80s, 90s, early 2000s. Yeah. And I'm not saying that it's wrong, but what I do know is that financial, the financial industry has changed and grown, so there yeah. may be new products. Yeah. What is your philosophy on buy term and investment? When I say that R.L. Williams, that's <clears throat> the name, right? Yeah, uh, A.L. Williams. A.L. Williams mm -hmm. was one of the best marketers of our generation. Mm -hmm. Like when it came to Primerica, he had the whole world saying buy term and invest the difference. And then I would I would say Dave Ramsey is sort of he, he's kind of like in that same yeah. same boat, right? Um, term is not a bad thing. Okay, I have term mm -hmm. insurance myself. Yeah. Term though is well. Let me ask you a question. Let's just say this will make it make sense. I'm gonna give y'all a real quick five minute lesson on life insurance. Okay. Let's say I can get me a policy that has a five hundred thousand dollar death benefit. Yep. I could pay five hundred dollars a year for that policy, or I can pay ten thousand dollars a year for that policy. Yep. On first hand, what would you say you would rather pay? Five hundred or ten thousand? Five hundred. Five hundred, right? That's the minimum amount that you mm -hmm. can pay for a ten thousand um, dollar. Um, sorry for a five hundred thousand dollar policy. Yep. Who do you think determines the minimum? Who determines the minimum? Yeah. The insurance company. The insurance company, yeah. right? The insurance company. They have actuaries that determines how much could we actually allow this person to pay where we're still profitable because they understand that ninety seven percent of term life policies are never paid off because mm. they expire after a certain amount of term. Yeah. See, many people think that people make they either cancel it or it expires. Many people think that the insurance companies are making way more off of permanent life because the premiums are way higher, yeah. but really they're making way more off of term life because they're never initiated. Only 3% yeah. of those are ever initiated. Mm -hmm. So they love term. They'll keep pointing in term. Mm -hmm. So we know that's the minimum, which is good for certain things. Like yeah. if I know if I got a house that's worth a million and I want to pay it off, if I die in the next 10 years um, before I can pay it off, then term is a good thing. Yep. Now, if I'm putting $10,000 into that policy, who do you think determines the maximum amount that you can put into that same policy? Mm, you. Most people think that it's actually the government. Mm. So let me ask you a question. Why would the government be concerned about how much money you put into a life insurance policy? Taxes. Taxes, mm -hmm. because they know that if you dump too much money in it, you never got to pay taxes on that money again. And in right. fact, in the, in the older days, that's what used to happen. People used to, rich, rich, wealthy people used to dump millions of dollars into these policies because it was forever scraped against taxes. Mm -hmm. No more taxes on the growth, no more taxes when they borrow against it. It's, they don't have to report it to the IRS. It's just hidden money. Creditor proof. Nobody can sue you and take that money. Mm -hmm. Nobody can divorce you and take that money. That money was, was creditor proof yep. completely, right? Mm -hmm. So that was a protection asset level. So it still is. Yep. But what they did was the government said, we're going to set a limit to how much you can pump into this policy. And if you go over that limit, it's called a MEC. What a MEC means is a modified endowment contract, mm -hmm. which simply means that unless you follow the rules and limit what you put in there, and you have to fund it for at least seven years, if you don't do that, it's gonna be taxable, just like your 401k, just like yeah. your IRA, mm -hmm. just like any of, in any of those you know, 403Bs or yeah. thrift savings plans um, at work. Now. If you're going to put $10,000 in it, we already know that taxes, it must be a benefit because the government is restricting it. Yep. That's not enough. You're going to want to know, well, what else is the other benefits if I'm putting this much money into the same death benefit that I can get for $500? Right. It better be good, right? It better be good. You better have a lot of benefits. So some of the benefits are tax deferred growth. 
liquidity access and control of your money. You can borrow against it and buy, and, and your money is working for you two to three times off the same dollar. Mm-hmm. There's non-structure, which means you don't have to pay it back if you don't want to pay it back. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's safety provisions, which means you're guaranteed no loss provisions. You can't lose money when the money yeah. hits it. So you can actually use that as a cash flow fund. And there's so many other benefits that I don't have time to talk about, but yeah. it's so many benefits, which is a reason why it's becoming more and more popular. It wasn't popular when I started doing this yeah. 15 years ago. It's way more popular now. If you mention it, people know what you're talking about. Yeah. And, and, and some of the Oreo, what's the Oreo? A.O. Williams. Williams. Some of that stigma is starting to wear off and people are starting to realize the benefits because what I did when I came to this industry, I made it cool because there's an infinite ways that you can design these policies. Yep. You can define You can design them where you get the highest death benefit for the lowest premium or you can design it where you get the lowest death benefit for the highest premium. I'm going to do the lowest death benefit for the highest premium because more of your money goes to work. But the downside is if you're an, if you're an advisor like mine, when you structure it the right way, we get paid a lot less. It's yeah. 70% <clears throat> less commission. Mm. So a lot of people say, well, why don't everybody teach you this if you can do if it's so many benefits? Because it's hard to get a man to understand something that his wallet depends on him not understanding. Mm. So the companies, why would they go out widespread and train all these agents to do it this way if they're costing themselves 70 percent profit? Yeah. Why would why would a, a typical 90 percent, 90 percenters go out and teach people this method if they know they make 70 percent by selling it the old fashioned way? Right. Because if you do it the old way, it ain't going to build up no cash value. It's going to grow super, super slow. And those yeah. are the ones that A.L. Williams was talking about. Those are the ones that Dave Ramsey was talking about. It grows too slow. Mm-hmm. But if you're going to supercharge your policy, I got to be prepared to do it the right way and get paid a lot less to do it. Makes sense? Yeah, that makes sense. That was good. So now let me ask you this. Can you pay off a policy ahead of time? Um, I mean, if I, like, if I buy, like, because whole life you pay until yeah. you said... 65. Correct. Could I say, okay, this is what my premium is up at 65. Yep. Let me just write a check. and You can. So I can go up and say, um, you know what? It looks like I'm going to be putting $300,000 in there. I got $300,000. I'm going to dump this whole $300,000 in. Mm-hmm. That's called a single premium okay. insurance product. They're very popular. It's called a SPIA, okay. single premium insurance product, right? Um. The upside to that is that your money goes to work for you right away and you can borrow like up to 90 something percent off it like within five days. Yeah. The downside of it is it turns into a mech. A mech means, remember when you dump all the money yeah. in at one time and you don't follow the rules, it becomes taxable. Got it. Um, after certain years, when a profit store is hidden, which typically takes three to four years, if you got a loan out against it, they can start taxing that, right? Got it. Sometimes it's not a bad thing because if I got my money in cash earning 4%, but I can put my money into this um, this single premium insurance product that's earning 8%, yeah. and I can borrow from it and pay it back right away without it being taxed. It's still a good move, but you got to know the rules if you're doing that so it don't turn into an event that you're surprised by at tax time. Got it. I like that. Okay. Yeah, I just I, I, I learned some stuff right now. We'll, and we'll come back. We'll come back to that, the, yeah. the insurance side in a second. I want to talk about the business side because okay. we were talking earlier. I, I got my start door-to-door sales. I think right, we right, did right. some stuff in door-to-door sales. And I always talk about transferable skills. Yeah. Like, because sometimes people could be like, oh, man, I was doing this, and this didn't work out for me, that didn't work out for me. And it's like, yeah, maybe you had lessons. Yeah. But there are skills that you can learn from every yeah. relationship or every business that can also help set you up. So can maybe give me, like, a little bit of backstory. Like, yeah. Like, wh- where you get your start, were there any pivotal 
businesses that were like a part of your yep. journey that helped you? Yeah, it's funny because when, when um, like now, you look at me now, I got two businesses, eight-figure yep. businesses, yep. right? Mm -hmm. um, and people say that all the time, like, how did you get started in this? You know, it was a whole backstory on how I got started, but yeah. what gave me the transferable skills, it wasn't financial advising at all. It wasn't studying books about finances. It wasn't any of that. Wow, okay. It was getting my start selling knives. Okay, so Cutco. Cutco. <laughs> you know, remember Cutco, Vector yes. Marketing. Well, I always... Cutting, I, I, I went to the, the presentation. I was, they was, it was real close. I just couldn't afford the knives at the top. First of all, I, mean, I ain't gonna say anything about the ethical practices yeah. or so because I mean they they used to tell you we used to go around telling people that buy these knives from me because I'm I'm looking to try to earn a scholarship. I'm mm -hmm. trying to win. Yeah. Out of that whole company, one person won a two hundred and fifty dollars scholarship. Oh, so that's a whole nother story. But what I learned from that is I, I learned to deal with rejection. See, it's a muscle, right? Yeah. See, me and door-to-door -door sales, and when I started off my financial career, I started off at Edward Jones. Yeah. And it was nothing for me because of the fact that we had to, at Edward Jones, the way you got prospects, you had to go door-to-door. -door. Wow. We had to knock on 100 doors a day, get 20 qualified uh, yeah. prospects, mm -hmm. and set appointments with a certain number of those people. Yeah. And I will tell you this, what I learned from it is that 95% of the battle is not what you sell, 90% of the battle is up here, hmm. right? One of my favorite books that I've ever read when it comes to preparing yourself to do door-to-door -door sales and, 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 and to get your mind right was a book by Og Mandino called The Greatest, Greatest Salesman in the World. world. Yep. That book changed my life. The reason why it changed my life is because it don't have nothing to do with sales. Yeah. But when I was knocking on doors, when I started at Edward Jones, man, everybody, and I was in St. Louis, so it was like all old white yeah, people, yeah. and then it was me, and I was young, knocking on people's door. Keep in mind, I'm working with older people. And at first, I felt like everybody was slamming the door in my face. Mm -hmm. They was like, they, you people look out, they blinds. They didn't want to talk to me. Yep. Uh, one time, I actually ran into a spider web on the street, and this older man looked up at me and said, did you run into that spider web? I said, yeah, I did. He said, that means you don't belong in this neighborhood, man. I had to deal what? with all of that stuff, man, and I was ready to quit. I was ready to give up, but I still had to go home writing thank you cards, literally sometimes with tears in my eyes, smearing the ink that I was writing, but I still had to keep going, right? Mm -hmm. It wasn't until I read that book that I realized that it wasn't, they wasn't the problem. I was the problem. Hmm. I was actually projecting the way that they were gonna treat me before they treated me that way. <laughs> I was going out in the morning saying, oh man, I'm black in this neighborhood, I'm young, they, mm -hmm. don't gonna, they ain't gonna wanna talk to me, but I'm doing my job. But because I had those thoughts, yeah. I'm a reflection, it's a law of the mirror. If mm -hmm. I'm thinking at myself, people are gonna respond to me the way that I see myself. Because yeah. as a man thinks in his heart, then so is he. And people yeah. saw me as a caterpillar because I saw myself as a caterpillar hmm. in that market. Yeah. When I read that, it was two different two different verses, I mean, um, scrolls that really changed. The first one was, I will greet this day with love in my heart. Mm -hmm. They said, one of the lines said, who could say no to my goods when their heart feels my love? Hmm. Yeah. It said, I will greet them and I will secretly smile to myself and say, I love you. Hmm. Though spoken in silence, it will put a smile on my face, a wrinkle on my bra, and who can say no to my goods when that heart feels my love? Wow. So I started practicing that. Hmm. I started going out, smiling. Mm -hmm. I was like, man, I love this person, right? And, and it sounds corny, but I would literally open the door, and when they opened the door, I would step back, and I would smile, and I would say, you couldn't even hear me say it, but you felt it, right? 
And when they opened the door, all of a sudden, people started inviting me in. They mm. wasn't closing the door. I used a dress from the Goodwill. I ain't had no money at this time. Same way. Yep. People, bro, this this guy invited me in and said, I want you to succeed. Come down to my basement. He designed suits. He had like five suits that was my size already. He said, take these suits. Go out and, and win. I had people inviting me in for dinner. I had people referring me to their neighbors down the street. So what changed? I was knocking in the same neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. What changed? It was the energy that I gave off because of the way that I felt about myself. And then the second one was I will persist until I succeed. Yeah. That was real good because it kind of showed me that, look, law is a law of averages, right? Don't worry about the people slamming the door or saying, no, you got to keep persisting until you, you proceed. And every time you persist, that muscle gets stronger and stronger and stronger. So now I got so many no's and so many people, but I didn't look at it as like a negative thing. I looked yeah. at it as it was building my persistence muscle. So now it's like when I'm pushed back against the wall now, I'm at my best. Yeah. Like when people try to actually throw stones at me and try to hold me back, I see it and I mm. smile because I was like, they don't know what they're doing. <laughs> they actually propelling me yeah. and they don't know they propelling me. Yeah, that's a fact. Somebody tried to, when I left one of my financial firms, bro, and they tried to throw a frivolous lawsuit at me mm -hmm. because they said basically I was taking proprietary material, which wasn't true. And they admitted from the stage that they don't have anything on me, but they said they got more money than I do. And they're going to take me out of business because yeah. they was afraid of my influence that people would follow me. I had some of my best years ever during that time because they pushed me up against the wall and I came out and 10 X my business through yeah. that fire. So, mm -hmm. So, you know, those are yeah. the things that really caught my attention, man, and yeah. that I'm nature's greatest miracle. There's yeah. nobody like me. Nobody can walk, talk. So I stopped trying to be like everybody else, and I started being my authentic self. That carries over to everything that I'm doing today in wow. my business. When I got this job as a financial advisor at Edward Jones, which was my first job, I came in. I had a C average in school, hmm. right? I was up against somebody who had an A average um, at, at WashU because we interviewed back-to-back. -back. They only was going to yeah. hire one person. I got the job. Why? What did they talk about 90% of the interview? So you worked at Door-to-Door? Uh, -door? You sold knives? Tell me about that. Mm. You worked at Wendy's? Tell me about that. So when you learn communication, you can flip any of that conversation. So how did somebody who worked at Wendy's and sold knives compete against somebody who, who was this summa cum laude person that was yeah. like, hey, you know why? Because I knew how to flip the conversation. So they said, so how does you working at Wendy's? They even said, so what did you? What, what makes you think you're qualified when your job was working at Wendy's and you have no degree in finance, mm -hmm. right? I said, let me tell you this. The hardest thing I ever had to do was stand in 100-degree heat all day and flip burgers and still smile and have to have good customer service, mm -hmm. right? If I can get through that while I'm sweating and flipping burgers and serving people, I can go out and knock on doors. This is easy. Yeah. Talk friendly to people and yeah. talk about financial advisory. That's easy. Yeah. Right. So you can well. flip anything that you did and turn it into your to the best outcome. Wow. I like that. All right. So we got um, Cutco. Yes, any sir. other any other experiences that have carried it? Because I got Cutco. Uh, yeah. You learn rejection. Network marketing. And how to flip. Okay. So network marketing. Okay. I network marketing. I know a little there's, bit about that. There's, there's a big stigma with network marketing. Mm -hmm. It's either you love it or you, or you hate it. But let me tell you, network marketing probably was one of those extension letters that just propelled my, my belief system. Number one, what network marketing taught me, um, and I was in my 20s when I did this, but it taught me, it went from just working hard, selling knives, yeah. to talking about, no, you got to develop yourself. Yeah. 
they were talking about you got to read this John Maxwell. You mm -hmm. got to read Think and Grow Rich. You got to yeah. read these books. So network marketing is what got me on my self-development journey to realize mm -hmm. it wasn't just about hard work and ethic. It was, about, getting your mind right. it was about getting your mind right. Yep. And then the second thing that it did for me is it taught me how to speak, got to it. be on stages. Because when I was yeah. in those rooms, coming up with a presentation, getting those seven or eight people to sign up for mm -hmm. it, I had, to, I had to face my fear in those small groups. I had to build a community. I had to build a team. Yeah. There's nothing else that's going to teach leadership. No. Like network marketing, That's right? Because you got to learn to lead all of these people going, trying to go all these different ways. And here I am in my early 20s leading people, doing presentations for people who are two or three times my age. Yeah. And I'm out and I'm out here, you know, first I was horrible at it. Then people realized, wait a minute, I didn't know what I was doing. It was like it was 10 people in a room and you got eight people to sign up off your presentation. <laughs> what was it? And I'm like, yeah. I don't know. I'm just just talking. But that's when I realized I had that gift. Yeah. And I started honing in on that. Once I realized I had that gift, I didn't keep doing network marketing. But what I did do was I, I, did, I did Toastmasters. Yeah. So I said, well, let me go ahead and make this strength stronger. Then I started competing in Toastmasters concerts. So how I built, got my, made my first million was that. I just went out and I did 75 presentations. Yeah. That year and, and basically sold appointments for my financial service product. So instead of going out and knocking on doors, the next level was leverage. Instead of me talking to people one on one, how can I get all of these people in a room? How can I speak to these people and inspire 60 people at one time and get those people to come yeah. come take action? Smart. Man, that was good, man. I didn't even know about the network marketing piece. Oh, yeah. yeah. Good. You know, and I think I think a lot of people misunderstand that the industry, even door to door sales, anything commission, because. It's kind of like what you're saying about insurance. People people don't understand, don't want to understand what they don't want to. Exactly. You know? And it's just, it, I don't look at it for the income. The income is there for sure. Yeah. But it's, it's the skills that you develop. Nothing and like. And I didn't go to college, so entrepreneurship has been my college. Right. But I'm like, man, the stuff that I learned has been incredible. And that, that's one thing I think this generation may be missing a little bit because I think some of them are like, okay, I don't want to go to college. Right. I want to be an internet marketer. I want to do this. And I'm like, yeah, but you're still missing a piece. And that's, you yeah. still got to grow. Yeah. People people see what you're doing. Yeah. But they don't see the sleepless nights and the times oh, that you was running organizations and running groups and people was betraying you and you had right. to deal with that All and you had to deal with people talking talking bad about you. Yeah. You couldn't understand the why because you're trying to do the right even thing. Companies, lawsuits, all, the, even come, all of that stuff you had to deal with, yeah. but all of that stuff is a character building things. That's why you are yeah. where you are. And they want to skip all of the process. Yeah. They say, well, I'm just going to go toward this. Now, the good thing about mentorship, you yeah. can skip a lot of that stuff yeah. that you went through, mm -hmm. but you're never going to skip all of it. You yeah. will have a shorter version, uh, a shorter learning curve, but yeah. if you skip all of it, then you'll never fully develop. For example, my son, bro, when he turns 17, I already know this. He's doing door-to-door -door sales. Yeah. yeah. Like, it's a great skill. Like, I don't care how much money we, I make. I don't care how what he's doing. Like... It's going to be a skill set that's going to take them to another level. And I might even have them do network marketing. Yeah. Just because forget about the money. Just yeah. know I need you to do this because I need you to learn these skills. Yeah, that's a fact. That's a fact. And I think that that is the piece I wish more people got is like, yeah, maybe you don't need college. Right. I, I'm not saying college is bad. I'm not saying it's good. My daughter wants to go. She'll go. Right. She don't want to go. But even if you don't want to go, you still have to learn some skills. Absolutely. And you still have to learn some lessons. And so some people feel like, well, if I go to college, I don't need education. No, mm. you still need education. Mm. And that's where I think some people, not everybody, are, are kind of missing this generation. So I, good. I, I, love, I love to hear that, man. Let's, um, let's talk about now building a company because right. you know, what, I'll ask you this, first, this question first. 
if you were to start all over today, mm-hmm. okay, where would Marvin start? Well, I would tell you, I would have started earlier mm-hmm. developing my mindset about leadership yep. a mm-hmm. lot sooner. Yep, I agree. Um, I think I was teaching myself how to make money. I yeah. was affirming being like thinking grow rich and making this money and, mm-hmm. and I was attracting the money. Yeah. But I was doing it the hard way because I didn't understand the law to lead. Yeah. I didn't understand leadership. And what I was doing is I was bringing in a team. Yeah. And I was a horrible manager yeah. man. I was a horrible leader. I couldn't keep anybody on my team for longer than a few months. Yeah. Uh, I was having um, when I had one person, it was cool. But when I got that second employee, then it's gossiping, this is bike backbiting. And yeah. I had to let, let everybody go and start over. Then I made dumb mistakes. I've been there before. You just like, all right, I messed this up. Y'all got to go. Let me tell you, the the dumbest mistake, dumbest mistake that I made. So I hired this one lady, Mm -hmm. loved her. She was, I was like, man, this is an employee that I know she got my back. She's Mm -hmm. cool. Like she was an older lady. Uh, She was like in her 50s and she treated me like I was a son. I was like, man, she's cool. Mm -hmm. So then everything was going well. And she said, oh, my son's in town um, from Nebraska. He moved from Nebraska. He was like, He's looking for a job, and I really want to make him a financial advisor. He mm-hmm. would be good at it. Now, my gut said, that don't, I don't know if I want to do that because, yeah. you know, you're mixing family and all of this. So then I went against my better judgment. I hired him. Mm-hmm. Then his girlfriend, fiance, uh, wanted to come into the business as mm-hmm. a front desk person. Yeah. And I'm like, well, I already did this, so I went ahead and hired her. So now... I got, and then there was another person who they were close with that I brought in. So now it turned into a family business. It just wasn't my family. Mm. So what happened was, this is so crazy. This sweet older lady, mm-hmm. I get a call from my office that um, that her her and the daughter-in-law is fighting. The sweet lady calls her, I don't know if I can cuss, but she calls her a big giraffe bee. What? Like, I'm telling you, they was just going in, and I had to leave. I was at a seminar. I remember this. I was at a lunch seminar. I had to leave early to come back and find out what the heck was going on. Turns out that the son proposed to her and didn't tell the mom he was proposing. So so she had a vendetta. So they were sitting up here, have family business, just oh arguing God. and all of that. Long story short, that ruined my culture, man. I had to end up firing everybody. Like mm-hmm. It was like six people in my time, uh, on my team, one person. One person stayed hmm. from that, and that one person happened to be my sister. So my no. sister is one person I brought on. I don't even know how my sister stayed because I would have quit. I would have left. Yeah. But one of the things I learned from that is you got to be responsible. One of the number one roles of a visionary leader when you're starting a business outside of leadership, you got to set the culture. Yeah, for sure. You got to set the culture, and I didn't set the culture. Everything changed for me. When I had, I started to rebuild again and started to have similar problems. I was like, something ain't right. Yeah. It's me. Mm-hmm. I finally realized it ain't them. It's me. Yep. So I said, what type of culture do I need to build? And mm-hmm. I came up with what I call four H's. Okay. I said, anybody who I hire, anybody who's on my team, they got to have certain characteristics okay. or else they can't be on the team. Four H's. They had to be humble. Mm-hmm. They had to be hungry. They had to be honest. And they had to be happy. I like that. That's it. Humble, hungry, honest, happy, which means humble can't have too much can't have too much pride. They got to be willing to be coachable. Mm-hmm. They got to be coachable. Honest, 
they they got to tell the truth. Be transparent. Yeah. When you make a mistake, you ain't in trouble for making a mistake. You're in trouble if you don't say the mistake that you made and I got to come up with it and come yeah. behind it. Mm -hmm. um, hungry, I can't give you a desire to want to go out and learn more. Like, I can't give you that initiative. You yeah. already got to have it. Yeah. And then at first it was only three H's, but then I added that fourth H, happy, because I don't want a, any brilliant jerks on yeah. the team. Positive I don't want anybody who's smart, but they don't, they got nobody want to be around them because their attitude is all the way down. So when we when we interview people, we got specific interview questions preparing them for that. When okay. we, when we, um, what the hardest thing I had to do when I developed this, I had to ask myself, who on my team, including myself, mm -hmm. have these qualities? Yeah. And I wrote humble, hungry, honest, and happy. And I wrote each person's name. This person, yep, boom, they check this box down. This person don't have this. It's 13 people on my team. Once I finished doing that, I realized it was only five people on my team that exhibited all of those qualities. Wow. That was eight people, eight or nine people who who did not exhibit those qualities, and I had to over time let all of them all of them go. Now the good news, though, I know it's sounding like it's a horrible story all the way through. The yeah. good the good news is since that time, uh, which is probably about six seven years ago, mm -hmm. almost everybody on my team have been with me for at least five years. Wow. And I just recently, for the first time in five years, had to let a, pe a couple of people go yeah. on my team. And, and it's funny on how I had to do that because I bragged about me having, to one of my mentors, I bragged about having the same people on my team for six years. Mm -hmm. And he said, and you think that's a good thing? I was like, what do you mean? I said, I used to <laughs> let people go all the time. I've been having the same people. Everything's good. It's like, what do you mean is that a good thing? He said, what that shows me is that you don't hold people accountable and you're probably not growing. You're probably stagnant. Mm. He said, there's no way that you're holding everybody accountable and you have an accountability chart on your team. And what's happening is you got people who are strong and people who are weak on the team. And then the people who are strong are carrying the people who are weak, which they're going to end up quitting because they're carrying the people who are weak on the team. Sheesh. And I started doing one-on-ones, bro, and I found out that that's exactly what was going on. Hmm. And I had to change that. So it's crazy the evolution of growth that you have. Mm -hmm. And the hardest part, too, is realizing when you've got great team members, but then you realize that what got you to the point that you're at yeah. is not what's going to get you to the next level. level. The yep. people sometimes, if they're not keeping up with you and growing, that's why it's so important to develop your people. Because mm -hmm. if your people are not developing, the company is going here and they're staying here, they're not going to be the people to take you to the next level. So. Yeah. Even though you want to be loyal, you can be you, the loyalty is making sure that you help them to feed their family and that you feed your family. Yeah. So it's so many lessons that I learned, yeah, man. Profit. Strong. I used to reinvest all of my profits back into the business. Then I read the book Profit First and realized what my problem was. Then I started taking profits from the business because if I'm not making any money, the company isn't healthy. Right. So yeah. I mean, I got I got lessons for days <laughs> on that. Bro. I love it, man. That, that's good. I, I was gonna I was gonna talk to you about uh, relationships. Yeah. Inside of like a company, especially as a leader, like, you know, how, how have you what are some ways you found to develop relationships with your team? Yeah. But also still have respect of people, because I, when I first started, that was that was like a weakness of mine. It was a weak area. I was like, OK, I was cool with people, but then I wouldn't have no respect. Yeah. And then it's like, OK, then I, then I would have respect, but then I had no relationship. Yeah. And I realized I got to have for, for me to be able to lead and work with people effectively. You got to have a, a little bit of both. Yeah. Have you found a way to be able to do that, like yep. build the relationships and, you know, the respect? Yeah, I, I say um, I'm going through a transitional period. That's always been what I what I, over the past, not always, over yeah. the past five years, I developed this culture book that mm -hmm. really helped. 
Uh, we do trips together. Yep. And we are intentional about it. So I formed a culture committee okay. on my like team. Yep. So I'm not the one that's responsible. So for onboarding, man, we treat people good, bro. We go yep. all out. We mm -hmm. make sure that that sets the tone yep. for the relationship. Mm -hmm. um, again, they get incentives. We went to Cancun. We went to Vegas. We went to... Um, um, What's that called? Santa Domingo. What's, what's that called? Santa Domingo. Yeah. Is that what it is? Yeah. Dominican like Republic. Dominican Republic. Yeah. Dominican Republic. So we, we we take these trips. We do happy hours together. Mm -hmm. Like uh, I think once a month we have a yep. standing happy hour. During COVID, we even did it virtually. So we, yeah. you know, it's important to keep those things going. And it's also important that we have what's called daily meeting rhythms. We okay. have so every single day. Don't miss a day on Monday through Friday, at eight thirty a.m. From 8.30, it used to be from 8.30 to 9, but we condensed it down to 15 minutes. Every day we used to we used to come in and say, hey, what's a massive action? What's something that you're working mm -hmm. on? That's the accountability part, yeah. right? But then we also say, what's 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 a positive focus? And yeah. a lot of times people talk about what's going on in their life. Mm -hmm. yeah. So that's kind of a way intentionally to structure relationship building within the context of that. And then we would form, like, everybody who would come in, they would get, like, a mentor and, a wealth, and, a, and what we call a compass connect. Okay. There was somebody who would connect them. They were responsible for maintaining the relationship. Now, that's the good thing. Let me tell y'all, tell you the ugly part of it. Okay. I had to fire myself. Yeah. Because I realized that I am, although I'm a great visionary leader, although I'm great at helping to set the culture, I'm horrible when it comes to accountability, bro. Yeah. Holding other people accountable mm -hmm. is not my strong suit, man. People will... People will take advantage of me, and then I would have people on my team that wasn't strong at accountability. Yep. And I had this policy called freedom and response. I still got this policy called freedom and responsibility, where they don't have to request off. They don't have to request vacation days. Most people didn't take advantage of it, but then one it only takes one person to start to take advantage of it. So I realized that I'm not great at that. And yep. I also realized that the person on my team that I had in that position wasn't great at that. Mm -hmm. So instead of watching her struggle at that, the hardest decision for me was saying, I got to move her to a different seat or else yep. I'm going to lose her because yep. this isn't her skill set. But I also need to move myself to a different seat because mm. I would lose the company. Wow. So I had to, when I fired myself, I said, I need to hire somebody else as a COO to come in. And now that person is responsible for doing one-on-one, -on -one, even with me. Yeah. When that person is in that meeting seat, even though I'm the visionary, we got our visionary meeting where I'm the boss, but in that meeting, I'm not the boss anymore. This person is the boss. You holding me accountable. Oh, I'm sorry. I was supposed to get that done. I'll get it done. You need to have it done by today. Okay, I'll get it done. Like, I had to take a back seat and be in, a, in another box role because I wasn't good at it. So what's great about that is now I don't have to be the bad guy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I can maintain the relationships, even though I'm the visionary and we, we talked about these things yep. and said it, but that person is not a bad guy. I'm like, I just want to take a trip. Yeah. I just want to chill. You yeah. know what I'm saying? <laughs> that's facts. I like it. I like that. That's that, that's really good. Some of y'all need to fire yourself. I'm just let y'all know that right now. You fire yourself. You know, and, and if you don't have a team, you might have to have some one-on-one -on -one conversations with yourself, fire yourself, hire yourself back, and then, you know, get rid of all the bad you know, habits that you got. So I think and, that's, that's good. And right? to add to that, man, I read a book. All y'all should read it. Um, it's uh, EOS. Okay, I haven't um, read by, that one. By, Gino, um, by Gene Wickman. Okay. It's called The Entrepreneur Operating System. The book is called Traction. Tra okay, I think I do have, tra I just bought that book. It's like you a black the, cover orange. Yeah, with orange. Yeah, yeah. Read that book, bro. It's powerful. One of the main takeaways that I got from that book is that every organization needs a visionary and an integrator. Got it.
only 3% of the people in this world could actually be both. Okay, yep. 3% of visionaries are actually both. So it's typically always two different seats. Mm -hmm. The visionary is typically good at casting a vision, culture, mm -hmm. uh, strategic partnerships, yep. getting out in the public, doing what they need to do, bringing all these ideas to the table. But what they're bad at is, is executing all of those great ideas, holding other people accountable for those. Mm -hmm. So once you realize that nothing is wrong with you, that you suck at follow-up, Yeah. It's just not what you was meant to do. You was meant to be a visionary. Until you actually take the reins from yourself and fire yourself as the operational integrator and bring in somebody else, now their job is to make sure fil they filter all of your ideas. Their job now is to make sure that they go out and they meet with the team to execute. They're doing a one-on-one -on -one mm -hmm. meetings with the team. You're not doing them anymore. Yeah. Once you realize that powerful concept, it takes all the pressure away from you, and that's when things start to get done. And then you develop your meeting rhythms. You develop your operational system. That's all in that book, man. Wow. Life I love changing. that, man. This is good. I learned stuff. The four H's. Yep. I'm definitely going to implement that. That's that's good stuff. Um, and making sure it, there's a few people that I know need to have the implementers inside the organization, oh, yeah. for sure. Yeah. And I like that piece of, like, listen, if you haven't fired somebody in, in a while, you're stagnant. That's... That's very, very that's, that's good. Very, very good. Yeah. Um I always I always had this section in the show it's mm -hmm. called Breakdown and Breakthroughs. Yeah. And I believe every entrepreneur has had failures, breakdowns yeah. in their journey. And that there's lessons that if you pick them up, it'll help you break through and get to the next yeah. level. Have you had any breakdowns? Oh, and if you care to share any of them, I'll share what lessons mm -hmm. have you learned from it that allows you to break through? I'll share two specific ones. Okay. I'll start earlier in my journey. Um, I got into this industry because I went to co college and I actually went to law school for a semester. Wow, okay. And um, my grandmother became sick with cancer, so I ended up moving back to St. Louis to mm -hmm. help take care of her. She made me her durable power of attorney. Wow. Her advisor told, she told her advisor she wanted to be safe. She wasn't safe. She lost 50% when the market crashed. She had no long-term care, so she felt like she was a burden toward the end of her life. So I came into this industry inspired to make sure that I could be a generational curse breaker that didn't happen to anybody in my family, but I didn't know anything about finances. So I, I served at a big company for five years, Wall Street, and then yeah. at, in that particular company, I realized that they cared more what was in the best interest for the company instead of what was in the best interest for the client. Hmm. They wasn't doing the right thing, and I realized that I was doing the same thing to some of my clients that that person was doing to my grandmother years down the line. So when I had to leave that job, it was tough because I now I grew up, I was homeless for a while, grew up in yep. a shelter. Now I'm at a point where like I'm making six figures at a big company that everybody know and I go out and I tell everybody I'm leaving the company and they think I'm crazy. Why would you pass up on this opportunity? So here I am thinking I'm make, I'm inspired. I'm making the best decision. This is a memory of my grandmother. I'm here. Soon as I made that decision to become an entrepreneur, bro, all hell broke loose. <laughs> yeah. Bro, I was I was engaged at the time, mm -hmm. and I think I was 26 or 27, but I was engaged for the only, it's the only time I've been engaged in my life and never got married. Mm -hmm. I was a member of a church organization where I was like the outreach director and I was like real deep into, yep. um, into the spirituality religion uh, at that particular time. So when I left the company, they came out and tried to throw a frivolous lawsuit at me, and people there wouldn't talk to me because they said they was afraid that I was trying to recruit them and stuff. Yeah. A lot of my friends were at that company, so boom, that was tough. Mm -hmm. On top of that, I decided that the church had become like a cult. 
mm-hmm. like that church in particular, not all churches, but it became like a cult. Like I couldn't couldn't see a woman without yeah. being a chaperone. It was, it was just hard. Like women couldn't cut their hair. Like mm-hmm. it was just bad, right? So I decided to leave that church, mm-hmm. and then they started telling everybody because I left the church, I don't have God's provision, and I'm not, I'm a demon. Stay away from me. Mm-hmm. So all of those people, I moved my house to be close to the church. They all left me, wow. and separated. And on top of that, the woman who I was engaged to was a part of the church community. So she stayed, of course, in the church community, and I was out. So we ended up over that. We ended up breaking off uh, the engagement. So I'm dealing with all of that. And keep in mind that I just started a freaking business. I'm out knocking on doors, how to be my best self. And I just decided I'm going to be an entrepreneur. And it was hard as hell. Yeah. So all of those things going on at the same time, I'm knocking on doors. That's when I'm getting doors slammed in my face. And it was even more sensitive to because I was dealing with all of the other stuff. Man, I'm telling you, you leave the church, spiritual abuse there. It felt like. That was worse than a divorce. Yeah. And I broke off an engagement. So mm-hmm. that was, you know, so yes, all like of this two. stuff. Like you, had three, and, you had three of them going at the same time. In the job. Like, it was crazy. So that's when I literally was going home wanting to give up. I felt like the children of Israel, when Moses came and said, let my people go, yeah. and they got released. And they was just like, well, at least when I was in Egypt, I got to do this. Yeah. So that's why I was like, I was like, at least when I worked for the corporate company, I got a steady paycheck, like yeah. all of that. And I was debating. I was in conflict with myself because I knew what my heart was leading me to, but I also knew what my pocketbooks were saying I needed to do, and I was faced with that tough situation. But out of that situation came inner strength. Hmm. It became became courage to understand that if I can get through this out of all the stuff that went on, how I was alienated at that particular time, and I still got through this, I don't care who tries to alienate me. I don't care... Who tries to, like, through whatever reason, blacklist me for the, for whatever reason? Yeah. I don't care who tries to do all of this. I'm going to make it because I've had the periods where I had to make it mm-hmm. when I was alone. So now it's like not only am I going to make it, I'm going to thrive. And the people who wasn't for me are going to look back and say, I always knew he can do it. Or they're going to try to connect with me at a different time. But I did that because of what I've been through. So wow. don't ever be afraid of what you're going through because the tests and the trials creates the faith that you need to make it when those situations happen in the future, most likely on a different level. Wow, that's strong. That's strong. The second time, um, this is when I already was a millionaire mm-hmm. because I thought being a millionaire would change everything. Right. So I had, um, I remember I did $2 million in a year, mm-hmm. and, but I had to work my tail off to get there. Like I did 85 events in a year. These are speaking engagements. Yep. I was, this is the St. Louis. I couldn't travel anywhere. I had just had my son. Like, my time was, like, trips. This is new to me, being able to go back and forth from two cities. I was stuck in one place the whole time. I couldn't travel. I took one trip a year for two days. Like, it was Mm -hmm. nothing, right? And I woke up, and everything was just upfront commission. Mm -hmm. It wasn't any trails. So December, I was number two in the company. January 1st, people calling me, congratulating me. I'm walking on stage, accepting an honor and a reward. And then I, I felt overwhelmed with depression. Hmm. It's like, how do you get depressed when you just had a $2 million a year? Because I thought that I got to do this again. Mm-hmm. I got to keep this up. These people are looking at me. So I had to go to um, the person and say, hey, uh, my leader. And I said, if I keep doing this, I don't know if I can. I just got a son. Like, what should I do? I want to grow my business, but I don't want to grow it like this. He said, man. You go hard for another 10 years. He said, how many seminars did you do? I said, 85. He said, do 90 this year. He said, go harder. So that was the kind of advice that I had. And after that, I kind of felt like 
hopeless. Like the money wasn't even worth it. I almost like wanted to like give up and quit. Then I had to awaken myself, and that's when I learned the power of leadership, and I learned the power of um, of being an actual business owner and not just a worker. I had to figure out leave that comp leave that yep. company and start something else. But this time, coming with the idea that I'm going to build it the right way, where I'm going to build it, and I'm not going to do all those seminars. I'm going to be a better leader. I'm going to learn how to manage and lead people. Mm-hmm. I'm going to learn all those things because this is around that time again. Was when I was having all those people quit. Yeah. So when I left, I actually had more time because I was thinking more than I was doing, yeah. and I had more time to build a team. And that's one of the things that was life changing and that I still carry carry with me today. Yeah, man, that's strong. That's strong. That is. And by the way, I work. I, I started working like eighty percent less, but making <laughs> ten times more money. Yeah, so. yeah. No, that, that that's strong, man. That's uh. I think that's those are two lessons that, no matter what level of person owners in their journey, yeah. you can gather something from it. Absolutely. You know I mean? So yeah, man, I love that, man. Those are those are great lessons. And I appreciate you coming on, bro. Oh man, I learned a lot. Absolutely. I'm over here. I like some mental notes. Um, and I, and I always love to have people come on that one I learned from. Yeah. And two, you know, is everybody here is on their journey that they can learn from as well. Um, anytime somebody comes to the show, I like to make sure we drop them something. All right. Uh, oh, the, the the official uniform. The official uniform. You know what I'm saying? Oh, hold on. Yeah, the official uniform. So there's a couple things in the box. Woo! And, uh, oh, this fire, bro. This over delivering. What? <laughs> Yeah. Hey, man, this this right here, bro. When I first came into this community, mm-hmm. this is all I was wearing. Bro. Yeah, now I remember. Rapper, rapper, athlete, entrepreneur, man. I would be at the airport. People would be reading this. It was like, oh, you're not a rapper. You're not an athlete. Entre- man, yeah. this brand right here, bro, is everything. Thank you, bro. Because it speaks to everything that we're doing as a culture and everything we're doing as a community. Yeah. No. And it's bigger than just a brand, bro. No. It's a movement. Thank you, bro. I Absolutely. And I appreciate you coming through. And, uh, and got the books, got the book, of you know, trust. speed of trust. That's one. Of, you know? That's one. Of, I've been giving that to uh, like my friends because this is, you know, for me in business, like and leadership, uh, trust is a currency. Absolutely. You know, and and you can your team is never going to go as as far um, as they can unless they trust you. Absolutely. And so yes, yeah, it's, it's it's a lot of good stuff in there. Uh, and I think uh, it's good for any entrepreneur. So. That's good, bro. I appreciate you coming. Through, I appreciate man. you. Um, where can people find you? Uh, catch up with you. Find out what you got going on. Yeah, so a couple of places. Um, first off, on Instagram, you can find me at Marvin Mitchell Official. Um, I do have a Wealth Creators community mm-hmm. as well um, that you can you can look up. It's just um, it's just wealthcreatorslive.com. Mm-hmm. And if you're like, well, I want to create my own bank, but who do I go to? Because ninety percent of people don't do it right. I have seven um, advisors who I train to focus on this and we do a call completely complimentary all you have to do is go to wealthcreationcall.com and we got you complimentary awesome so listen man y'all just got a chance to hear from my guy marvin mitchell not just on the banking plays but what i really enjoy in addition to that because i learned a lot from that too was just the mindset that's allowed him to not only start as an entrepreneur build as an entrepreneur but now scale as an entrepreneur and now have two eight-figure businesses is absolutely incredible so Y'all just got to play. Go run it. Go See run the play. So let's get it. Peace. Good stuff, bro. This is good stuff. What's going on? Listen, make sure you guys go to runtheplaystore.com. Get your official run to play gear. We talk about shirts, socks, jackets for everybody that's run to play all across the world. Are you ready?
we're gonna run the yeah. play. Let's Do you go. know what it's like to come for nothing at all? But every day you just wanting it all. Do you know what it's like every day facing your fear? 